0: Well, we come this evening to the little letter of 2nd Timothy as we make our way through the pastoral epistles And uh, we are not working chronologically. We are working As the order of the canon, so we will go from 1st Timothy to 2nd Timothy and then conclude with Titus Though the order would switch 2nd Timothy and Titus if we were going chronologically 1st Timothy and then Titus And then conclude with 2nd Timothy, but we find ourselves Just concluding Paul's first letter to Timothy, which is great context for us to study the second letter that he wrote. He did not write this second letter very long after, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, and uh, talk about the bare bones and the details of what we're going to find in this short letter, though very uh, potent letter, that Paul wrote to his young protege and his son in the faith, Timothy. It's going to be our goal over the next several months, and really I think the letter of 2 Timothy will take us through the summer. With some gaps, I assume we'll do some fellowship things in the evening. But through the summer, I think we're going to spend most of our time here in this letter. And it's going to be our goal, really, paragraph by paragraph, to unpack what's here. Because of just a short break, I think we haven't been in 1 Timothy for six weeks or seven weeks. Just even this week, becoming, again, um, very intimately detailed in my work with second timothy i was reminded of how different our study on sunday nights is from our study on sunday mornings and uh, how much more detail there is in the didactic or the teaching material of our scriptures when we come to the gospels we're reading a narrative account we're reading uh, a recounting of information when we come to the epistles and particularly paul's epistles we are given direct teaching information and it's extremely detailed and every word counts and we want to make sure that we have an accurate perspective on what is laid out for us as a standard in Second Timothy. And so that will take us through the summer, I would think, if not into the fall, in our study of this little epistle. This is considered by most, if not all, to be the last will and testament of Paul. You are reading the very last words that Paul penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is it. And that makes this letter extremely important to us as a young church, with young pastors, with young ideas, with everything new, as David just talked about, with development and with growth and with setting ourselves with an expectation for success. When will we know success? When we see it, how will we know it? All of those elements that come together at Grace Church of the Valley make this study particularly important. Because here is Paul, he's facing heaven, he is aware that he is facing heaven, his life is coming to the end, and if we could sit down and ask Paul, what would you say is most important to the life of the leadership of the church and to the life of the church itself? What's going to happen, Paul? Where do you see the church heading in ten years? We could do an interview with Paul, there in the disgusting, uh, rat-infested, hygieneless prison of Rome. Second Timothy would be the inspired answer These are his final thoughts and they are extremely personal They are focused on an individual Timothy his son in the faith and yet they are ecclesiastical. That is they address the church Just as much as they are personal Now as become our practice and somewhere this is really going to come back to bite us, but we're going to read through the entire letter of Second Timothy tonight. And, and don't worry, I've already read this out loud in my office and uh, timed it to see how much of a chunk of time we're looking at. Somewhere, I don't know if it's going to be Hebrews or uh, First Corinthians, Second, somewhere this is going to really catch up with us. And we're not going to be able to do this. But as long as we're in these short books, let's get the big picture. Most of you probably have not read Second Timothy this week. Um, maybe you have. This will be a good refresher if you have. It will be a good introduction if you haven't. All right, I'm actually going to sit down and I'm going to read to you uh, the letter of 2 Timothy. If you have your Bible, take it out and uh, follow along as I read. This is the word of the Lord, the inspired word of the Lord, for our instruction this evening and for many evenings to come. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1, the letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, According to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. ...who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed... For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Noneseris, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they come and, may, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however have followed my teaching my conduct my aim in life my faith my patience my love my steadfastness my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at iconium or at antioch rather at iconium and at lystra which persecutions i endured yet from them all the lord rescued me indeed all verse 12 says indeed all who desire to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have heard or what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, For he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. When you come bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself. For he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense no one came to stand by me. But all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all, would be the accurate closer to this letter to Timothy. Father, we ask for your guidance as we study this letter It's good for us to comprehensively see what you inspired from your Apostle Paul. It's good for us to see the whole scope of what is included in this letter. And it is brief, it is direct, and yet it is profound. It is not simplistic, but it is simple. We ask for grace, even this evening as we look at these first few verses and as we look at the details that will give us a context for studying this letter. We ask for the grace to be hearers of Your Word. We want to respond with a quick ear to Your Word. We desire for Your Spirit to be active in us, that we might be attentive to Your Word. That it would not fall on deaf ears, that we would not have itching ears that turn away from the truth, but that we would hear the Word. We ask as well for the grace then, Father, in response to what we find from this letter, to not just be hearers of Your Word, but to be doers of Your Word. We ask for the grace and the Spirit's activity to help us apply what we see here, that we might better reflect Your glory, that we might better put on display Your worth. That we might present a conformed life to the image of Christ to the world in which we live. We desire to be hearers and doers and lovers of your word. And so we ask for your grace to be very active as we study this letter. We ask for special, special grace, special times of transformation, eye opening experiences corner turning interaction with doctrine may we be gripped by your word may we be gripped by this letter so that we might be a church that brings honor to you that we might be a people that bring honor to you that we might be individuals that have our expectations properly aligned with what your word is revealed this we pray in the name of our christ and according to his will amen Well, we come now to the first several verses of this letter, and uh, if you're still awake and you're still here, I don't know when the last time I've had anybody read something out loud to me. I listened to the Bible um, read by a guy named Max McLean, and I would highly recommend Max McLean. He reads the ESV, and uh, if you've ever heard Max McLean, I don't know how you would listen to him and not go to sleep unless you're doing some other activity. He's got a British accent and this deep voice. And I mean, it is the most soothing reading of 2 Timothy you've ever heard in your life. I don't listen too much, but I do listen to Max McLean. And maybe you haven't listened in a while and you're you're finding yourself to be quite sleepy. Let me try to help us come back to the hard work of understanding what we're going to find out about this letter. In the first two verses, and that's all we're going to deal with. That's what your bulletin has there for you. Just these first two verses we find... um, the introductory material for this letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's talk tonight about two facets of this letter. And these are really, this is an introduction to Second Timothy. That's our goal this evening. And we're going to break it up into two different facets for our... Uh, our attention first of all the details of second timothy and really that that is encompassed in verses one and verse two well, let's talk about the details of second timothy and then finally let's talk about <clears throat> the de- declaration of second timothy excuse me the details and the declaration later for turning off the microphone those of you who are sleepy that would have been a helpful aid probably the details of Second Timothy, we find, first of all, very obviously from the very first word. Though many have debated this, many have thought this not conclusive, that someone else decided that they would put the name of Paul at the first word of their letter so that they would gain some credibility with those who would read it. We would firmly believe that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, every infallible and errant word of Scripture is breathed out by God. Therefore, Paul is, in fact, Paul. Okay, moving on then from the details. The Apostle Paul is the author of this letter. Let's talk about who he was. Who is the Apostle Paul? Who is this man that we are so familiar with his name? Well, he is Saul. He was born Saul of Tarsus. The book of Acts recounts for us his conversion. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was trained in the highest schools of the Pharisees. He was zealous for the law beyond comparison, he tells us. And in Acts chapter 9, we find Saul of Tarsus on a horse, probably, riding down the road. And as he rides down the road, he is struck by a massive light that comes from heaven and a voice from heaven that knocks him off of his horse and removes his sight. He is blinded on the road to Damascus. The voice is none other than Jesus Christ himself in his risen glory. And Paul, who was at the time Saul, saw the risen Lord in all of his glory, which resulted in his blindness and which set him apart as an apostle, as one sent from Christ. And you remember in Acts chapter 9, the old Saul of Tarsus going along the road Ask who in the world it is that's talking to him, and Christ asks the question of Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus interacts with Saul, and he is forever changed, as he understands for the first time, his eyes are open to the truth that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. He is in fact risen, and that the Christians in fact do embrace the truth. Radical transformation of his life, no doubt the churches were a little nervous about this man who had been dragging people to prison, who claimed Christ, who had been standing by holding the coats for those who were bashing in the skulls of Stephen, the skull of Stephen, as he no doubt encouraged them and cheered them on. The church was concerned about this guy claiming to be a preacher of the gospel, a friend, a family member, a brother in Christ. And yet, Saul of Tarsus became Paul, and he was sent out from Christ to the Gentile people. And we know from the testimony of Scripture, and because of our existence here together in Christ, that his ministry is so profound and wide sweeping that there is no one in comparison, as mission work goes, that could ever hold a candle to the Apostle Paul. We are descendants of the gospel to the Gentiles preached through. The ministry of Paul. Paul gathered around himself as an apostle of Christ. Several men, he had a team that would travel with him. Many of them were mentioned here in this letter. One of those men became like a child to him as Timothy traveled with him as a very young man. Paul poured his life into Timothy. He poured the truth into Timothy. And he left Timothy, which we'll address in just a minute. At Ephesus. And Paul, an apostle, is writing here, the author of this letter, to his child in the faith. I think it's interesting that Paul takes all the time in verse 1, he's writing a letter to somebody that is probably more familiar with him than anybody else. And yet, because of the official nature of this letter and because it would be read in the church, he takes the time to articulate the basis of his apostolic ministry in verse 1. He was an apostle of Christ Jesus, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. And then you find a little word in the ESV, according to this, this little phrase at the uh, tail end of verse 1, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And according to, we can understand that probably better, with the idea of in conformity to, matched up with. So Paul is basically saying this, I'm an apostle, and the source of my apostolic ministry is God himself. He designed this. He brought this about. He called me. He commissioned me. It was all God. And my apostolic ministry is not only founded in God, but it comes right in uh, lock, stock, and barrel, comes in unison with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying he's an apostle, and the source of his apostolic ministry is God and the message of his apostolic ministry is the promise of life in Christ Jesus. All right, So he is committed as an apostle of Christ by the will of God to declaring the message, the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And that's just another way of saying the gospel, the good news. Right, That is the good news, that there is life that is available in Christ. So that's the author, the Apostle Paul. The context for this is prison in Rome. As far as we can tell, based on the history that we find in our scriptures, this letter is written between AD 64 and AD 68. The previous letter to Timothy would not have been long in the past. In the early 60s, Paul was in prison in Rome. He wrote to Timothy. He was released from prison in Rome. And in AD 64, or shortly thereafter, Nero torched his own city, we talked about this this morning, he torched his own city and in the after effect of being blamed for burning down his city and being an absolute maniac, he proved that it was true by turning the attention and saying that in fact those who followed Christ had burned the city of Rome, which led to the most intense and widespread persecution of the church in the Roman Empire that ever existed. And in that persecution, directly after that persecution began, the the very central leader, the teacher, the apostle from Christ himself, was arrested and thrown into prison. And Paul was very aware that this imprisonment would not end with release. This one, because of the climate of his arrest, because of the climate of the social life in Rome, this one would end in death. This was it. And so, no doubt, in eighty sixty four, 64, between 64 and 68, Paul is crammed into a hole in the ground, which is what a prison was. He did not have a mattress. He did not have cable television. He did not have warm meals. There were no taxpayers that were providing him with a very lush lifestyle. He was in prison, and the prison was a pit. It was a hole that was carved out in the ground. It did, not, it did not have windows. They didn't have light. They didn't have an exercise yard with basketball hoops and weightlifting equipment. Paul was not hanging out with the guys playing checkers. He was chained to the floor. There were no toilets. Those remains that have been dug up from prisons of this time show maybe two or three holes in the floor that depending on where you were chained, you could get to. The disease would have been rampant. Any food that was tossed into the men would have been battled for by the rats that would have lived in these prisons. The soldiers that dealt with these prisoners viewed them as less than human. Abuse was common. Paul himself was abused on countless occasions, beaten and torn. And here we find Paul at the lowest point of low Glorying, glorying and finding joy in the gospel and in the work of God in his church. We would find ourselves in this scenario thinking that we would be discouraged beyond compare. And no doubt Paul gives us a little glimpse into some of his discouragement, right? I mean, his friends left him. He is discouraged. And yet we find him boldly encouraging his young son in the faith to take up the banner, to be bold to carry on the work of the gospel that he had begun. That's the context and the date. He's in prison after Nero's persecution. And the recipient is none other than Timothy himself. We find in verse 2, to Timothy, who is Paul's beloved child. That's a child in the faith, not a biological child. I think you know that. And then he gives this greeting, and this is, this is vital for us this evening. Here is Paul's initial encouragement and he'll continue with encouragement in the next several verses that we'll look at next week but here is his initial encouragement for Timothy grace these are prayers that he would be blessing Timothy with grace mercy and peace it's a threefold blessing pronounced on Timothy his child in the faith I don't know if you've ever done this maybe you in your Bible reading you read a chapter at a time um, from one of these and then go back and maybe take a section of it and study that section for the day or for the week or try to memorize certain portions but if you were to come back to verse 2 and you read just the intro material and usually our our eyes just boy we just go right past the intro material if you were to stop and think through these three terms I think you would be blessed by what Paul is praying for here in verse 2 and blessing Timothy with grace would we define grace? What is grace? What's a good definition that we would use? What's that, George? Undeserved favor. Exactly. Unmerited, undeserved favor. Um, grace is something that is granted to us that is undeserved. So we are given something, when grace is active, we are given something that we did not deserve to receive. Mercy, in the second of these three. Mercy, how would we define mercy? The opposite, exactly. Not receiving something that we do deserve. The withholding of what is deserved. And so, in our relationship with Christ, these should be highlights. These should be stamped on us. Grace and mercy. We receive what we in no way merited, which was forgiveness from our sins. And mercy we are being withheld from what we do deserve, which is eternal punishment and separation from a holy God. So Paul, the apostle, in his final days, in his final words, he gives this blessing to Timothy. Grace, mercy, unmerited favor, undeserved blessing, and withheld, uh, deserved punishment. Grace, mercy, and peace peace here, I believe, is not a judicial peace that he is blessing Timothy with, but an internal peace, a settledness. And we're going to see this played out as a desperate need for Timothy. A settled peace that brings stillness to the troubled waters of life, that brings a settled confidence, a quiet confidence in the midst of trial, persecution, And upheaval. I like to think when I read these blessings that Timothy was was encouraged from the very first line of this letter from the Apostle. No doubt Timothy heard. They arrested Paul. First of all, Timothy knew Rome had burned. He's in Ephesus. He knows Paul's in Rome. He knows that Nero is flipped. He read on the internet that morning. Nero's going to blame the Christians. Headlines. Headlines. He got the word and no doubt Timothy was concerned as much as the weight of the church of Ephesus was on his back. He was aware that the Apostle Paul was headed to prison. And Paul here right off the bat reminds Timothy of these grand themes of his salvation and of his Christian life. Grace, mercy and peace. Peace with God, peace with God's sovereign plan for Timothy's life. Grace, mercy, and peace. These are the blessings that are called out to young Timothy from the Apostle Paul in his final words. He doesn't just give those and walk away. He always careful to describe what he's speaking of. He says this is not just generic grace, human grace, nor is it human compassion and mercy towards people, nor is it just a superficial peace that anybody could have. This is a grace mercy, and peace that is derived directly from the source of God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The Father, the first person of the Trinity, is the dispenser of grace, mercy, and peace. And the means by which he dispenses it is through the ministry of his Son, the second person of the Trinity, the Messiah, Jesus, our Master. And the mechanics, the mechanism by which these realities are brought to fruition in the life of any individual is the Spirit that is sent in the absence of Christ. Paul here makes it very clear. He's talking about divine grace, divine mercy, divine peace. This is an amazing introduction to a letter. When was the last time? Well, when was the last time you actually wrote a letter? Or when was the last time? You typed a letter or emailed something and you took this much effort in the first two sentences of your letter to communicate the emphasis, the desire, the goal, the priority of what you were writing. Paul is extremely careful and the Spirit is moving him along as the inspiration process is taking place and he leaves us with this powerful introduction to young Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace from god from god now that is the details of uh, the foundation of this letter that's the context that's what we're going to base everything else off of we're not going to re um review all of that every week to talk through what's the context where's paul writing from that just lays the basis for us but there is a bigger picture of the declaration of second timothy what is the outline what is the big picture view that we should have when we come to this letter and this is important As much as the context of the letter is important, it's crucial for us as well to hold in our minds a big picture of what we are going to be going through. So let me give that to you. And if you're taking notes, you could write these down. This is just a rough outline of this letter. This is not an inspired outline, but I think it serves us well as we think through this. So here is a go at an outline. In verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1, we'll find the introductory material. 1 1 to 7 is the introduction. We begin then after the introduction with the body of the letter in verse 8 of chapter 1, and we find first a call for shamelessness with the gospel of Christ. So Paul calls on Timothy to be shameless with the gospel of Christ, verses 8 through 18 of chapter 1. The second The second break in the body of this letter comes at the beginning of chapter 2 and takes us all the way through chapter 2, and it's a call for endurance in the service of Christ. So Paul is calling on Timothy for shamelessness with the gospel of Christ, and secondly in chapter 2, he calls on him for endurance in the service of Christ. That brings us to chapter 3 in the big scheme of this letter, And in chapter 3, we find Paul calling Timothy for correction of apostasy from Christ. So he's to be bold in his declaration of the gospel. He is to be faithful in his service of the gospel. He is to endure. And now in chapter 3, he's called to correct, to rebuke the apostasy, the departure from Christ in the church at Ephesus. And finally, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, we find a call for the declaration of the Word of Christ, a call for the preaching of the Word. Timothy is reminded at the base level at the end of this letter with the final exhortation, the final call on Timothy is, be about the Word. Paul says, give them the Word. I was so blessed last week by the opportunity to have my pastor, David Wickham, here with us. And I was doubly convicted by the accountability of what he had to say to us from John 17. He addressed it to David, but I could feel the deflection off of David back over to me. As he said, David, give them the word. The word is truth and the truth is truth. Sanctifies. And Paul closes out his admonition to young Timothy with this call in verses one through eight of chapter four. A call for declaration, for the declaration of the Word of Christ. And then verses nine through twenty-two conclude the letter. That's the final words of Paul, the conclusion to the letter. So you have the intro in one one to seven. You have the body from one eight to four nine. And then you have the conclusion from I'm sorry, to 4.8, and then the conclusion from 4.9 to 4.22. And he closes with a plural, which is important for us. If you mark your Bible, you may want to jot this there in the margin or, or beside the word you. Um, our translation, the English Standard Version, says, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. That you is plural. And so he begins this letter in a very personal and specific manner, and he concludes this letter understanding that even we... Will be accountable for the details that are found here. Grace be with you all, that is the church at Ephesus and indirectly Grace Church of the Valley over 2,000 years later or just about 2,000 years later. So we've got the details of this letter. I trust at some level you've held those details in your brain. We've got the big picture, the declaration of this letter. What's the big scheme of what we're going to study? And that really brings us to our normal final question. What in the world does that mean for us tonight, tomorrow? How should we be preparing for this study? What, what should we even be gleaning from what we've done this evening? I've jotted down just a couple of things that I trust will be helpful for you. First of all, understand that what we will engage in 2 Timothy is an outline. It is a divine outline for pastoral and ecclesiastical success. Say, what is it to be successful as a church? Or what is it to claim success for a pastor, for a shepherd of the church? This is the divine outline. We will find it right here. Secondly, as we prepare to examine that outline and to bring ourselves underneath of its authority and submit ourselves in humility to it, Let us study and interpret and apply this letter with an eye towards our humility. I I really encourage you, if you're not reading God's Word on a consistent basis, you should be. You need the renewal of your mind. And if you struggle with keeping the discipline of a daily reading of Scripture, let me help you with three great books that you could be reading a chapter a day from for the next 30 days. And they would benefit you immensely. The letter to the Galatians. The account of Matthew. And the letter to 2 Timothy. It will aid your study immensely. It will help you interact with what we will study. And if, even if you are reading in another Bible plan. I would encourage you to come back and reference. And study. And interpret. And examine these portions of scripture so that we can glean as much as we can as God humbles us underneath of His Word. We want James one nineteen to 19-25, which we prayed for. We want that to be true. We want to be hearers, and we want to be doers, and we want to be livers and lovers of the truth. One of the ways we can do that is to be as familiar as possible, letting our minds be renewed so that we think God's thoughts after Him. The church is not confusing unless our mind is unrenewed about what God expects of the church. Being a believer is not confusing unless we have muddied our understanding of God's expectation of us as his people with what our culture says we should expect of ourselves. And so it's vitally important for us to constantly and persistently renew our minds with his word. And then finally, pray for humility before the Word of God. When we think about James 1, 19-25, we're reminded of the context of these words. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think one of the shortcuts that we take as we encounter God's Word is a prayer and a setting of our hearts in a humble position before God's truth. And let me just encourage you, as you pray for me in the teaching of this book, of this letter, and as you pray for your own interaction with this letter over the next several months, position yourself to be praying consistently for humility. Not a quick anger that revolts against what God says, but a quiet listening. Not a quick response of the mouth, not an excuse given in your heart, but a quiet recognition of the authority of which the Scriptures undoubtedly carry. So, let's set our expectations to see what it is that God demands of His people, of His leadership within His church. And let's give ourselves to studying and interpreting His Word with a mind and a prayer for humility as the basis of our study.